Okay, hello, Steve Simpson. Uh, we have a special guest today on Arash's World, and um, Steve Simpson is uh, a child advocate, uh, a child abuse survivor, media commentator, as well as a writer, and uh, and probably many other things which uh, he will tell us in a few moments. So uh, yes, if you can please tell a little bit about yourself. So glad to have you on the program, but could you please uh, introduce yourself in whatever ways you like? Or you, you sure, sure. I'm very happy to be here, happy to be here. So I guess we'll start my childhood since that's where it all started. So you, you heard of an A student, you know, to be, to be an A student? Okay, I was a Z student, okay? I was the opposite of an A student. Always failing tests, always starting trouble in the class. In fact, uh, if, if the teacher said, no one's gonna fail this test, the whole class would look at me, okay? And my lowest grade was a negative 20. Now you might say, how can you get a negative 20? But what I used to do was this. I thought that the smart kids had the most perfect home life. You were smart, you had the perfect, of course, I realized later on as I'll see, I was wrong about that. But I used to try, I remember talking second, third grade, I used to try to mess them up during the test, you know, to distract them. So the teacher caught me and said, get back in your desk and whatever you're getting, I'm taking off 20 points. I said, well, then I'm not gonna even try. So instead of a zero, she wrote negative 20. Now I didn't even try to study. My friends, I would try to cheat lots of times. I try to figure how to cheat. My friends would say, why don't you just study? It would take you half the time. And I said, what's the use? Because I had what's called low self-esteem. Um, in fact, I used to cut school from an early grade on, and that's why I got away with it. But you know where I went? I went to the library. And what would I do there? I'd be reading books, and I'd always ask the librarian for pen and paper, and I'd be writing, even then I was writing, short stories, uh, proses, poems. Now, what's wrong with this picture? And looking back now, I was way ahead of myself as far as reading skills and writing. Uh, this kid's leaving school because he thinks he's a failure, but he's going to the library to read and write way beyond his comprehension. Now, what was my problem? Uh, my father was a violent alcoholic, okay? <clears throat> he abused me both physically and verbally. As far as the physical, um, the best way I describe him, he had like a snap temper. He could be talking like you're talking right now and just out of nowhere, hit you, push you, throw, they're going throwing things at you. And you never knew where it was coming. In fact, I used to try to get away from the dinner table as fast as possible, and I eat fast. To this day, I still eat fast. <laughs> my, my friends say, you finished already? Uh, and that, that's what I would do. But more important to me anyway than the physical was the verbal abuse. And that's taken lightly today. It's the verbal abuse that made me think I was dumb. I couldn't do well in school. It's the verbal abuse that I didn't even want to try, and it's the verbal abuse that started me thinking of suicide because it was always hopeless. And like, unfortunately, most children of alcoholics we think everything's our fault. And they tell us that this is your fault. This is your fault. He was some drunk, sometimes he couldn't talk, but he pointed at me. And him and my mom would get in fights and he unfortunately beat her at times. But you always take the guilt on as a child of an alcoholic that it's your fault. Well, from the time I was 11, I became suicidal. Now, I want to say that I always say this and I write this in my books. I didn't want to die. I just didn't want to live. And you might say, well, it's the same exact thing. It's not the same thing. I know it was like being dead. I was 11 years old. But I knew it was like being alive. And this is critical to hear. I didn't think it was ever going to get better. If I honestly thought and knew, which it did, it was going to get better, I wouldn't have tried to commit suicide. But I thought I was never going to end, and 11 years was too much. So I became suicidal. By the time I was 12, I started running away a lot, back and forth as well. Um, now, fortunately for me, at that time period, um, protective services done, because I used to do what's called couch surfing which means you go to different friends' houses and you stay there. And one of the friend's parents said, this isn't right, and called Protective Services. And of course, 
uh, I was taken to, and put into foster care. Now I'll say this, I know a lot of negative things are said about foster care. I was in two foster homes, one for one month and one for a year, both for wonderful human beings, wonderful parents. And you know what's interesting, first lesson out the gate I learned, they weren't perfect, they would have arguments, but you know, and, and I braced myself when there was the, here it comes, no one got violent, no one said horrible things to each other. No, there weren't ultimatums and they worked it out. That was a lesson itself. Now, because remember, now protective services have a domain on me, they put me in therapy, but they also, I was sent out to self-help groups. And this was key. I go into this group and um, lo and behold, there's some smart kids there. <laughs> and I actually said to one, what are you doing here? You know, and she laughed and said, you'll see it. Some of them tried suicide more times than I thought about it. So, so much my theory, if you're smart, you know, there. And I came to a conclusion, which was interesting back then. Well, two conclusions. First conclusion, you always blame yourself. If he had a different kid, he'd be happier. Wrong. Because these kids were the best kids a parent can have. And their parents called them the same names he called me. And I couldn't figure that out. Why would he call you? I me, mean, yes. I'm the 10 most wanted to listen to and the teachers, you know, but why would you? And the point is because it's got nothing to do with me. See, it's nothing to do if you're smart, you're not smart, you're a boy, you're a girl, whoever you are, what you are, it is irrelevant. An abuser will abuse you because nothing that you did, they abuse you because they're an abuser. If someone else was my father's son, would have done the same thing. If he had a daughter instead of, he would have done the same thing. And once I figured that out, it wasn't me. I'm not guilty here. Now, the other thing is these kids saw my writing and they said, I can't write like that. You should be blowing school away. They actually taught me how to study, <laughs> okay? And lo and behold, I start passing. Then I start passing all the time. I'm, I'm making a long story short. Then all of a sudden I'm on the honor roll. Then the next year, the National Junior Honor Society. Um, Couple quarters, not the whole year, couple quarters pulled 100 averages on some topics. I did the kid with a negative 20. Okay. Uh, then I just, to keep myself busy, I joined some sports. I joined wrestling and track. Wrestling, I liked. I always I had a winning record in that. And track, I got the, it was called a black letter, which is the MVP for that year for my track team. Now, here's the best part. They, now I'm in the eighth grade and they make me student of the month, not just my class, for the entire eighth grade. They hang my picture up as a model student. I used to walk by that picture and laugh because only two years before that, that same picture would have been a dartboard in the teacher's faculty room. <laughs> okay. Uh, and here is, and here's the thing, those kids I was picking on, the smart kids, I was one of them. And I, now the only regret I have is I didn't finish school and take it further. And that is a regret I have, but with that self-esteem, thank God, with the self-esteem, I was able to be successful as a business person, a mortgage banker, and of course, have four books out, right? Successful books out right now. Kept kept writing, uh, and I use that as an example. Um, so again, how many other I say right now showed of alcohol or just abused children? Okay, or will go through their life even to their adulthood, fitting in this mold, thinking they're not that smart, they're not that successful, things that fall. And that's what I became aware of, which was like became doing this what we're doing right now for years. Uh, and if you can get to someone when they're a child, that's the best, okay? But even as an adult, many adults have over years said, I'm living this role, but that really wasn't me. It was beat through my head by, by an abuser. Uh, so again, um, another important thing I would like to stress to you about child abuse, 
I know what I'm in the interview. Uh, one of the things about book, I write down the two reasons they don't report it. Years ago, I remember I got, I mean, I have, he hurt me badly, I had bruised. And I know this sounds like an old question. Remember, when I was young, they didn't have the mandated reporting. It came in a little after I went to young. So keep that in mind. My mom told me, tell, you, tell the teacher you were playing that they asked you, you ran right into the wall. Okay. And sure enough, I said it back then. And I remember to this day, that teacher looked at me with this weird look on her face and then let it go. Now, I thought back then, now as an adult, as an adult, she probably looked and said, this kid's being abused. But man, there was no mandate back then. Let me show what goes in the mind of a, a victim of child abuse. I thought, I knew the way it looked as a kid. I remember it clearly to this day, but I thought she was looking and saying, she knew I was hit because I'm that bad of a kid. See what I'm saying? I took it as guilt. Because the two biggest reasons some of the report abuse is one, they think they deserve the abuse. And they think they're embarrassed to tell them. And the other people agree, well, of course your parents beat you. Look what you did, you know. And here's the second one, which most people have never heard of. Most cases, sometimes both parents are abusers, but in most cases, it's like mine, okay, where one's the cult abuser, one's the codependent. My mom was the codependent. Oh, by the way, I should also add for my mom. After that, the foster home, she totally separated from my father permanently and, and, and got a new place on her own. Uh, and near the same town, the foster home was, I can stay in the same school. So God bless her, she did do the right thing. Broke off from her codependency. Um, now, but anyway, in most cases, there's that codependent parent that's allowing it to happen. And what happens is the child doesn't want to get them in trouble. Now, isn't this amazing? The codependent parent is not really protecting their child like they should be. And we've seen news cases about this. But yet the child is protecting the codependent parent. What I say to any young person that hears this is that you, they're not going to get in trouble. They're going to get help because protective services would say, you need to get help. You need to, it'll allow them to separate from the person because they have no choice. And maybe they go to therapy and get over the codependency. Because I've always said codependency, you know, alcoholism is a disease, they say, of course. Uh, gambling is a disease, if you're compulsive. I'd say codependency is just as much as a disease. It overwhelms the person where their natural instinct to protect their children is overridden by their fear of being alone, you know, uh, so. <clears throat> okay, that's a, that's a wonderful introduction. Thank you for sharing uh, all this information um, uh, with us. And I have uh, tons of questions, comments <laughs> that came to my mind, and uh, let's let's dive into that. Um, yeah. One of the uh, interesting things I, I've uh, I've heard about the frog in the boiling water metaphor, and um, to me uh, that can be applied to many different things. And one of them is when you're a child and you're growing up, you think your dysfunctional family, and I think pretty much all families are dysfunctional in a way or another, some more than others, of course. And um, you think that that's the normal way of doing things. So when you reach out and when you see other kids, you assume they're going through the same things as, as you are going. And that is something that in many cases, we realize much later what was going on and how it was not right in many ways. So that's one thing we see things as normal, but I think each, uh, every one of us is suffering, has trauma in one way or another. And I think that's, that's important to acknowledge. And I also like the fact that you're mentioning verbal abuse because that's something that is, people see it differently. And um, yes, there are extreme, there are different forms of, of child abuse, the very extreme ones and so on. But verbal abuse to me is 
extreme in the sense that it erodes your self-confidence, your self-esteem, your ideas of self-worth. And uh, that is happening on different levels. And it's not just necessarily the family. Yeah, just for you. It's, like, brain, it's like brainwashing, you know what I'm saying? And, it's, and I, I'll refer to another little tidbit, okay? Mm. Because now, this is a general statement. It doesn't apply to every case. Now, you've had many cases of bullying in school, okay? Now, there are some case bullying where the, the home life of the child would have been fine. So I'm not blanketing every case. However, I would tell you from experience, okay, that I have known where if a child is being already verbally abused, and it's, it should be taken, like I said, my suicide came from that. It should be taken much more serious than it is. People think it's like sticks and stones, baked by ball and glisten. The person that wrote that poem of the saying was not an abused child, okay? It, it, you're better off with sticks and stones. But here's the problem. So now you're being constantly, constantly bad on abuse. Now you go to school, and now some kid makes fun of you. So when maybe some child who did not come from an abusive situation would have had the thickness of skin to blow it off, might have bothered them, but they would have blocked. This child can't because all their layers of emotional skin have been worn down already. Okay, so now they react in a in a way. Whether it be suicide, whether it be self-esteem, whether it be violence. Okay, uh, how many times too you might have seen this even as adults? You're hanging with the crowd. And someone has a joke that day they saw on TV and they tease you. And you come in, they tease you. Oh, she actually comes, they say to her. And you go, you laugh or you hit them. Hey, get out of here. Then there's that one person that comes in and everyone else laughed. But they get angry. They cry. They walk off. And you say, what is their problem? They can never take a joke. None of us got upset at this. What you may not realize is it wasn't what you said. It was minor. They're being, whether it's by a parent, maybe that's their spouse, their significant other. They're being abused at home. So I stress to people, if you see someone react like that, don't get angry at them. Back off, okay? Mm -hmm. You can ask them, is everything okay? They may not tell you, but start throwing them some compliments. Start, hey, how are you doing? Nice shirt there. They might tell you one day in the future, because you were nice to me and gave me compliments, that held me through. You'd be in shock what you might be doing for that person. Yeah, we internalize a lot of things. And, and that's what, what trauma does, too. I think it just uh, changed the structure of our brain, the brain circuits change. And, and so people and, and I love the point you're making, because it's, it's about the abusers. It's not about one who's being abused. And so we see the same with anger when people are snapping at someone, whether it's through in social media, which happens a lot within the streets and everything. I used to take that personally, and I, it used to affect me. But now I've realized, no, this is not a comment on me. Whatever they say is not a comment on me. It's a comment on them. And realizing that shift, no, I'm not the problem. The problem is the other person who is angry, who is accusing me of things. And in many cases, and psychoanalysis uh, opened up the, uh, the view for me, it's a projection. It's their own anger that they're just projecting onto you. And that is such a feeling of relief when you notice that it's not me. And to a point where you say, you know what, if you're an important person in my life, yes, it matters what you think, but I don't know you. And in many cases, I don't care what you think because it is, it has no value to me. And what you're saying is false based on what I know, for example. And you mentioned uh, bullying, which is something that's happening. But I think something that we're uh, not seeing enough is um, teachers who bully kids. And we had a case with my son. We had, he had an abusive teacher. And it, um, he, she abused the whole class. But it's, it's, it's uh, some sensitive people 
who are um, more more attuned to that, and it, it hurts them more. Like and what she said, and people react differently. Some people don't have the same sensitivity as others, which is perfectly fine. But this woman was uh, was verbally abusing him, was uh, forcing him to do things, and so on. And um, it, it affected to, to a way his, his behavior and he developed tics. He wasn't as, as, as happy anymore. And we saw some signs where we go, okay, something's wrong. But then there was also the guilt. Maybe I shouldn't say anything because maybe it reflects bad on me. Maybe it reflects bad on the teacher, maybe bad on the school. And uh, on his birthday in his favorite uh, um, restaurant where he's having a hamburger, he started crying and says, yes, this teacher is very mean to me and is always doing this. And so that's when I realized, but we saw it like the pieces came together. And I think it's a huge responsibility of parents. Uh, hopefully they're not abusers, but parents who are not abusing their children to be aware of that and to follow up on those times. And I love your point because a lot of times <clears throat> parents will say, well, they're just a child. Or once they reach the teen years, they're just being a teenager. That's dangerous. Okay, because they might be being a teenager or they may not. And I like what you brought out. Here is a teacher doing it. And that can ruin That could have ruined his whole perspective of school. His whole perspective of school could have been ruined by that. So I like the fact that you, you, you zeroed in on that. Because a lot of people blow things. Oh, it's just this. You know how kids get. No, you can't do that today. Yeah. Now, now, I'm going to bring up another point. And I think you made me think of this. Here's another situation that's happened now through this whole shutdown quarantine situation. Now, some schools are open again and some are more opening bit by bit. Let me throw a, a, little, a little interesting piece of information and, and if any teachers listen or anyone's listening to this. So I mentioned earlier with my abuse to father, I, the fast I get away from him, the better it was, right? When there were holidays and school was closed, even when I was doing bad in school, I was sad. Because what that mean? I'm home, he's home, ah, and I try to get out whatever way I could you know, go hang out with friends. I climb out the window half the time just to get away from it. Now, when this shutdown happened last year, think about what happened. These children were surrounded by their abuser, okay? They're off from work. They're home. They can't go to friend's house because the friend's parents, I'm sorry, we can't have you quarantined. Can't go to the mall. Can't go to the movie theater. Everything was shut down. So these kids were now overexposed to abuse. And even if it was, let's say, not physical, but verbal, think about that. Unfortunately, the abuser had a lot of time to work on these kids. So what I stress to you, whether you're a relative, you're an aunt, you're an uncle, you're a school teacher, if you see, you know, this child's not the same as they used to be. Don't just say it's because of the quarantine. No, it could be what happened during the quarantine. Because my unfortunate prediction is, if this isn't nipped in the bud, you're going to, and it really has risen suicide rate, as you know, it will continue to rise. And it could be like time bombs. It could be someone six months from now, a year from now, that suddenly just unfortunately starts to commit suicide. And you might say, well, how could it be the quarantine? That was two years ago already. Because this is the built up having all this verbal abuse ripping at them. And, and, and some kids were, here's the sad part, some kids were going to therapy like in school or school um, like, um, sessions like I went to, self-help groups, they were all shut down, you know, because at, at the beginning, they finally tried some Zoom things, but it wasn't perfect, okay? So again, I ask people to be aware, same realm, like you just brought with your son. Don't act, I ask us in quarantine, they'll get over it. No, what happened during that quarantine? If you're an aunt or an uncle, if you 1% think there's abuse in that house, you're probably 100% right. 
do something. Take the, take them for lunch, like you took your son for dinner. Take them for lunch, your niece, your nephew, your grandchild. Maybe they'll open up. Uh, and the number one thing is, if you're if you're the other parent and you know this was going on, get them to therapy. Don't be fooled if the grades are good. Like I said, there were quote smart kids that I tell self help to. Yeah, well, yeah, his or her grades are doing fine. No, get them to therapy immediately before the time bomb goes off. Yeah, I, I have a particular soft spot for, for children and have always had it. And now that I have my, my own son, it's it's just increased so much more. And so when there's a, a father or son movie, when I saw it, I'm like, really, like when I watch those, I'm really close to tears because I feel that affects me more than, than ever. I feel like Holden Caulfield in Catching the Rye, like trying to save kids <laughs> and, uh, and that. But just to go back to what I was saying with my son, so... Um, uh, he he opened up and talked to it and told us that on his very birthday, uh, his teacher made him cry, which to me, that's just like, that is beyond cruel, right? And, um, and so, and, and, and that's something that, that should be acknowledged when you see a person doing that. Okay, that can't be right. The person is not right in the mind no. to do that. And so uh, when I heard all these stories and all the things she had done, so I went and talked to the principal. And so you would think that she would look into it and she would try to solve the problem. Instead, she, at first, she pretended to be on our side, but then she ended up defending the teacher. So we said, well, my son is suffering. Can he switch to another section? And she said, no, she would never do that. She completely refused. And in the end, it was a bit of gaslighting. They say, well, he is anxious. He is probably depressive he should maybe take some medication and just back to us to a perfectly normal and healthy child. And I said, look, you're wrong because once we check into another section, he's gonna be perfectly fine. I know what the cause is, I know my child. But you know, her response was, oh, you're just over anxious. The idea of helicopter parents who are always watching the kids, who are too concerned about the kids. He should face adversity, he should get stronger, he should get resilient, and you are not helping him with his independence. I went to the higher authority, the school board, and explained to the person in charge, look, this is happening, gave him all the details. And he said, okay, let me think about it. And he agreed to switch him to another section with wow. resentment from the principal. But after that, everything went back to normal. The tics disappeared, the restlessness, he became his normal self. And I said, how many kids are suffering in the same classroom? And how many parents are not doing anything? Because we told them, if you guys come to our side, if we can go together, we will make a change. And this teacher should lose her license, but she's still there. She's still teaching. And now parents do not have even access to the building anymore like we used to, thanks to COVID. And, and it's just horrible. But at some point, you know, I, I try everything I can. I say, you know what? I saved my child. And it is unfortunately your responsibility to do so or not to do so. And most of the other parents did not choose to do so. Right? And, and to me also that the authorities are not taking it seriously. They talk about bullying, they talk about mental health. They say, this is important to us. This is just lip service. I want to see some actions and I don't see enough. And even Absolutely. right now during COVID, I find the idea of that if your child is staying home is suffering, mental health issues is not true. It depends on the child, of course, but it's not always true. And so, in fact, when they go back, the situation is not normal. Teachers are absolutely stressed, and I don't blame them. Uh, the situation is insane. And you want them to have no issues from this experience? I don't think so. 
you know? It's and impossible. It's impossible. impossible I, yeah. I, I love the fact that you said, though, two things. So unfortunately, <laughs> you're right. How many other kids in that class are going to be affected by this teacher? Uh, and, and every principal is different. Some principals would have taken action. But what I love what you did, which is so important, okay? And I've learned that in life. You could have said, oh, we tried the principal. No, you went to the next step. That's magnificent. And but you got in, what you wanted. And then you have the validation of yeah. just like you said, sure enough, after switching, he's fine. Okay? But so you know what we did? Yeah. Taken, you didn't just, all right, and, you know, and get bullied, because you were being bullied in a sense, if you think about it, you know, but you took it to the next level, got what you want, and here's the proof of the pudding. So now we did you most of all did what's best for your son. Your son's going to remember this. Your son's going to remember that you, that you did this for him. And yes. that's real important because as he gets older, he will come to you with other problems because you showed him come to you. I'll ma- don't listen to people who say there's nothing can be done. I'll make it work. And, and, and what a magnificent lesson for him, not just that you care, but like I'm, but the, even though the principal said no, he thought he was stuck, you took it to the next level. And then again, the validation showing he's fine now. You proved <laughs> nothing to do with cradling him and, and he needs to get adversity. No, it was an abusive person. And look how he flourishes with his other teacher. And that's exactly it. Because when there's abuse, I taught him to say, stop, don't do this. But if I let him go on with it, then he, it means like abuse is okay. You have to deal with it. You have to accept it. Then and you're the other being thing, hypocritical. Hmm? Then you're being hypocritical if you let him go exactly. on with it. Exactly. Exactly. You're saying, Dad, you're telling me no, and I have uh-huh. to. But what a! I, I have to say again, what a great lesson for him in life, because that's going to show him too. And and this is for anyone watching this as well. That in life, that you know, many times in my my, my business, many times in my first life. The answer was no. Sorry, Steve, it's not going to work out this way. This is the policy. And I said to myself, well, let me say a prayer, okay? And then let me go to action. And once you know, call this one, call that one. And all of a sudden, it's not a policy or a policy is not written in stone. And all of a sudden, things happen. And I think that's a great lesson in life because people tend to lie down at the first volley. Oh, well, again, I try. And how many times have I even, even a simple thing like you're calling about your cell phone, your credit card, and you get one person to, and you hang up and just get another person? Oh, sure, I can help you out, Mr. Simpson, and everything's fine. So mm-hmm. even something simple like that, wonderful lesson for your viewers, wonderful lesson for your son. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I met, uh, I have one of my colleagues when I told him this story, and he, with tears in his eyes, pretty much said, I wish my parents had done the same to me when I was oh. in in grade uh, seven and eight and so and that just kind of like moved me to tears as well and I kind of thought I wish they had done as well because this person and we're talking about many many years later decades later is still remembering that and the opposite is true too where my son will remember it and we were we were strict and he didn't go to school I said he's not going back to that class and he's staying home and it went on for two months. It was a standoff. And they said he has to go to school by law. I said, no, he doesn't. If there's an abusive teacher, he doesn't have to. He won't. And so in the end, when the person from the school board talked to me and said, well, um, do, you, do you give this teacher another chance? And we tried various times. It, it didn't work. I said, no. He said, is he kind of going back to school? I said, no, unless you change him in another section. A week later, he was in another section. And sometimes it's like you do have to fight. And we did the same with homeschooling because I said right now, under the current circumstances, uh, it's not safe for him to go back, especially here in, we're talking about Vancouver. And um, they were saying, okay, you have a deadline until this time, but then they have to go to school. 
and the deadline passed and we said no and then they extended it now it's been the whole year so it's been at home for a whole year and um yes there are drawbacks but there are also many benefits and the good thing however is that he's thrived now more than he ever had in school and and in a sense it's just like my experience with school was very positive i grew up in germany it was very strict it was very tough but i never felt there were some teachers who i would say abusive yes they were but it never was to a point where i it, i lost interest in 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 learning and um and to this day i am involved with education so it's something that i was not traumatized and continued i didn't have perhaps the self worth and i'm finally slowly trying to heal that and getting there and getting the confidence but um i've always enjoyed it and uh, even, it doesn't mean you can be strict as long as you're fair you're reasonable you are caring strict, those strict two are not mutually exclusive exactly strict doesn't mean abusive there's a big difference okay <laughs> yes, absolutely with caring and and your and your person care there's a big difference between that and abusive then one has nothing to do with the other People mm -hmm. make that mistake. Uh, mm -hmm. Am I over disciplining? Is that abuse? No, no. Disciplining abuse have nothing. If you're disciplining a child, you're doing it for your child's benefit. Okay. Mm -hmm. I told you to do your homework. You did your homework. So no TV tonight. That's simple. Mm -hmm. Abuse. Abuse. You're abusing because you're an abuser. They're two different realms and nothing to do with each other. Because people sometimes get in this discussion, you know, sometimes. Uh, and try to debate it. There really is no debate. <laughs> so. Yeah, and, and and the funny thing is that the teacher supposedly was strict, the abusive teacher, and they moved him to a strict teacher who's known of being strict, but she was caring. And so the principal was warning me. You know, this person is very strict. I said, I have no problems with strict. I have no problems with it. I have problems with abusive. So he's going to be fine. And he was really, he did really well in that class, and that's what he needed to. In some cases, I think I. Sometimes he considers me strict. Uh, sometimes, especially when I'm dealing with my students, he says, "Dad, you're very strict with the students, and if they're listening, they, they know I mean well. They actually know I mean well, and and that's it. You can be both. You can be strict and reasonable and caring. Yeah, All of these things. Says, let me tell you something. When I, when I sense someone cares about me, mm -hmm. and they're just that's everything. That, that's see the difference. Okay, mm -hmm. strict means nothing. Then you, I, I get it. This is the way you are. But when someone cares, if you don't sense the care, that's a problem. Okay, mm -hmm. and that's a big problem as far as that. Now we also, by the way, we touched on bullying before. I want to divert just a slight bit differently. Another mistake uh, some parents will make. Let's say there's bullying. Let's say it's particular students they feel are doing it. Okay, they always go to the school administrator, which you want to do. Okay, mm -hmm. but I recommend also go to the school social worker or, or whoever the psychologist uses social work. And the reason why is this. Um, if your child is having a problem with the bullying, the principal, the assistant principal, there's so much time on their hands to really check on your child. It's just a reality. The social worker has more time. That's their job. They might pull them aside. How's it going today? Not good. They did it to me again this, this morning in the homeroom. Boom. You know what I'm saying? Like they got them. So this is a suggestion for parents. If it's students doing it, okay, even though you go on administration, hook up with the school social worker because that's the person that has the time, okay, to continue to check on your child, you know, 
And, and that's what we did. And there was a great response from her. And the, uh, the, the exactly, yeah. And it was a, a great move. I mean, it was kind of an encouragement too. It's like, guys, you are right. Don't give up. And we wouldn't have anyway, but it just feels nice when, when people are supporting you and, and something that is, again, that you know, you know it's right. It's the right mm -hmm. path to take. But the problem with principals too is they're so tied with the school and they are on the side often of the teachers, their staff, than the kids. I, that's been my experience, unfortunately, here. And uh, it shouldn't be that way. It really no, shouldn't. it shouldn't be. I, I, I found it's case, I've dealt with different principals over the years, mm -hmm. okay? And it's case by case. Now, I know mm -hmm. some principals, like you said, they were more politicians, you know? Yeah, and that, and that's, that's the kind of what you dealt with. And other principals, I have to say, were action people and, mm -hmm. and dictate and, 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 and did get involved and did say, thank you for my attention. So I find it's a case by case. If they're not exactly. a politician principal, you have a chance. But then again, like you said, then the buck didn't stop there. You went to the school board. It's always a superintendent of schools, too, but it's not them. The school board was an excellent move because those are made up of probably some parents right there. You know what I'm saying? And, and let's face it, they may not admit it to you. They might have even heard things about their teacher in the past, you know? Mm -hmm. But now, so, so but, but that decision, that, that, again, that's another lesson I, I also say to people in life. You know, a lot of people, what happens like growing up and uh, perhaps, um, they want to do a certain career and, and people tend to be negative. They'll tell them how the odds are against them. You know what the statistics are. That's too much school for you. And I always say, don't let people talk you out of it. You know, some of the most successful singers and actors were told can't do it. You know the competition is? Even me in my writing, I got to tell you over the years, before I had books in print, finally, I was told by people who didn't want me to get hurt that maybe you should kind of give up. I don't see you getting hurt. You know, I was like, and it looked like, now really, you tell me to quit something yeah. that I enjoy. And, and let's not get into what my father said about it. That's another story. But thank God I didn't because all of a sudden books and print, you're on TV, doing interviews and so on. So I stress the people out there, don't go for that speech. You're going to hear it about how the odds against you, uh, you know, how much competition there is. You've tried for so long. Maybe it's, a, I, you might want to try things differently. It's okay to listen to people's suggestions, but never stop trying. You know? And again, this is a reflection about themselves, about the other person. And often I find there's a, a level of envy in there too. And they say, well, mm -hmm. you know what? I can't do it. So you can't either. And, and I've heard a lot of myself too. It's like, there's a lot of limitation. That's like, no, that's too hard. Or you won't get there or, or a comparison. It's like, okay, well, you got a job at this university, but this university would have been better. And it's like, and all of this is like creating like feelings of guilt, feelings of self-worth that you say, okay, well, maybe I won't make it and so on. And I realized that a lot of it is other people's fears that we tend to internalize and that have nothing to do with us in many cases. And just like getting to separate that, it's like, okay, that's your opinion again, but I have a strong belief that I am good at something. Now, the example that always comes to mind for me, and recently I've been um, watching programs about him, is Van Gogh, who was, uh, um, parents told him not to follow it. He followed his passion. He ended up dying poor, which is very unfortunate, and uh, probably committed suicide. He had mental health issues. And I'm thinking that all of this perhaps could have been avoided if he had had a supportive father would not be so demanding it's, on him. I know hard to realize that, but he was driven by it and he, he was really good. Well, it's funny you said that Van Gogh because I, again, I looked to him, I mean, for as talented as can be, I have to explain to you how talented he was, mm -hmm. but I looked at him as almost like, an, I, I relate to him because mm -hmm. 
there had to be some abuse or alcoholism within his parents because like you said he was not encouraged he later i suppose that he even had some drinking problems perhaps himself he certainly had mental illness okay mm -hmm. he certainly had depression issues mm -hmm. you know and, and with him and it's too bad because today he probably could have gotten help like some of these celebrities we have right now there a lot of young ones especially went out and gotten help and i look to him as just I relate because I know what he probably went through mentally. He, but look at, look, look at the interesting thing. Look how talented, okay? And, and, and but he thought he was a failure. That, see, this is the thing. Yes, he never, yes. that's exactly he my point, yes. Horrible. And he commits yeah. suicide thinking that he's just this horrible failure yeah. and he's Van Gogh, one of the most famous artists and successful artists there are, are to this day, you know? Yeah. But what, see, there's an example, okay, of typical self-esteem issues, okay? And I take a guess, maybe alcoholism in his family or so, definitely abuse, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, and a minimum verbal abuse. And, and here is the effect of someone that Vincent van Gogh but thought nothing of himself to the point where he was so hopeless and in pain, he committed suicide. And you would say, how? You know what I'm saying? Uh, in fact, I'll tell you about Vincent van Gogh, I saw an episode of Doctor Who. I know. Ago. I was thinking of that. I've seen that. Oh, yeah. Right. And, yes. and that yeah. that yeah. was significant. And, and to make it brief, they go back in the past. They see Vincent Van Gogh, and they show him what he becomes. So they yeah. figure he's not committed suicide. They go back to the future, and he still committed suicide. And he were in, and the, why? Because here's the key. Even though they showed him the future, he never got help. He never got help. He never. So because he never got help, he fell back into his depression. And I thought for a science fiction, that was a magnificent episode because mm -hmm. the, the lesson there was you, you still got to get in the house. And stuff. Look at these celebrities today, again, uh, 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 addictions, suicidal. Um, I give I give them compliments to many of the ones today that have gone out there and talked about it. OK, because years ago, celebrities didn't. And you'd wonder, like, why did he kill himself? You know, mm -hmm. but but now they, at least they do share with people what's going through. And, I, and God bless them. I think that's wonderful. But look how many, how successful they are monetarily. <laughs> Not about success, yeah. And yet they'll openly admit how depressed, you know what I'm saying? And again, to be a point of suicide. So the element is what? You, the help, the, the help, you know, and whatever your help is, I mean, some is therapy. For me, the, the self-help group did more than the therapy for me, okay? <laughs> Someone else might be the reverse. Um, but I think it's so important. I always tell people, young people watching this too, if you are in school, grab a hold of the school social worker. I used to say this, and people would tell me, I know what they're going to say. I know what they're going to say. Why bother? Now, they did say some things I thought they would say, but they said a lot of things I did not know they were going to say, and I learned from them. And, and, and it was just so important, you know? Um, so again, uh, that, that, that example is the helps there, and, and people can live help, healthy lives, especially where... Now, everything's blanketed mental illness. So there's different types of mental illness. Some people have really serious mental illness. That, that is another realm to itself. But in my many cases, like myself, it's really self-esteem. It's really living through abuse. And it, I, it's not the same as the different type. Of, you, you can say it's mental illness now because you're depressed, but it's more of a, a salvageable one, for, for lack of better terms, because you said it before, too. I had to reprogram my thinking, mm -hmm. rewire myself. And I realized this isn't Steve Simpson. This is the typical child and alcoholic that thinks this way. And it's not unique to me. Once I discover that, 
that that that's gone that fall because I I, I, I said it's just me. What are you gonna do? It's not just me. It's nothing to do with me, you know. And exactly. I think I know many people and peers and so over the years where I mean, if you judge them early years versus now, it's a little like two different people. And that self-esteem is so important because that allows you. But also, another thing is relationships. Mm-hmm. How many people will say, "Oh, I have the worst luck in the world." It's got nothing to no, do with luck. Nothing to do with you luck. Seeking out people, okay, that are abusive, or you are such an obvious target, okay, that they go right to you. Because abusers know who to go to. They figure it out. They could be a hundred people, and one person could be there is is like a codependent. They will sniff them out and go right to them. But here's the great thing: if you you don't have to have this bad luck, if you do get help and rewire thinking and get yourself and realize. This is not normal. Maybe you saw your dad treat your mom that way, but that's not normal behavior. That's not how a relationship works. Not mm-hmm. a real relationship. Mm-hmm. And, and you can all of a sudden change your luck, so to speak, and be healthy. And if you have children, this is very important too. You know, you're, when you're single and you're codependent, that's bad enough. You're hurting yourself, but you're choosing to do that. When you have children, you're taking on that codependent ride with you, and that's not cool uh, because again. And you're going to relationship to relationship, and they happen. A lot of moms have different boyfriends, uh, and each one is an abuser. That's so. All these adults are verbally telling those children the same thing about the horrible things about themselves. Now think about that. Eventually, the child concludes, "I guess it's accurate," because three different of my mom's significant others told me this. Unfortunately, the child doesn't realize it is no. All those people were abusive personalities. Your, your mom or your first your dad sometimes it sometimes is the reverse as well and um and, and the girlfriends are like that so the interesting thing is again uh, i i appeal to codependence put the brakes on get help you'll be happier you know because people think oh this is just the way my life is no it's because you're allowing these things you're seeking you're com- it's like that you're comfortable with it as crazy as that sounds okay yeah, that's I'm in that boiling water, and you say, "Yeah, that's how it yeah. is, right?" I, yes. I, I can't jump out, but yes, you can, and you have yes. to, you should, you must. <laughs> um, and you, I, and you a second. And one of the one of the things is the idea of not being good enough. For me, my my experience with school was slightly different, where I said, "You know what? I need to prove myself." And I think a lot of people are driven by that because you say, "I'm not good enough. I want to be somebody. I want to be somebody who's uh, worthy of, of being." in this world. And um, you see probably a lot of uh, celebrities who are, who are successful and who continue with that, but it's driven by this insecurity. But the problem is they never actually feel satisfied because it's never enough. And you keep like pushing and pushing, but you don't get that personal satisfaction from it. And realizing that is basically, I said, okay, I am good at what I do and I'm gonna enjoy it at the same time. So you're not just blindly driven because uh, otherwise you can have millions and you have billions and you will never have a single day of happiness in your life because you feel you are driven, you're compelled, you're not free. And I think that is something in one way, it's helping the economy because people are trying to prove themselves to them, to themselves, to others, to their parents as well. While if you take that step back, it's actually more beneficial and will help more because you're not blindly pursuing money and success, you are more aware of your surroundings, and you probably will be more empathetic and compassionate, which are qualities that are not necessarily encouraged in schools or in society or in the country, which are of vital importance. 
for everyone. It's funny, I just had this conversation this week about compassion and empathy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I overheard a college student say, oh, some of these students join, they don't even know basic terminology, they have no passion. And my answer to that is, then why don't you be nice and educate them? Instead of rolling your eyes, mm -hmm. making fun of them, chastising them, sit down and explain what these terminologies are. You might make a difference in someone's life. See that compassion and that empathy wasn't there in that case, you know? And that is, whether it's business, you know, whether it's personal, you need to have that. You, know, mm -hmm. you need to have that, the, the respect for another human being. That's, that's another person, okay? Mm -hmm. and, and, and then also when you have that, which you said earlier, you don't take it so personal. Some people have different anxiety levels. I have certain things I get anxiety from. Other people have things. I, but then I can hear, I have friends of mine, they're better at technology than me. I'll say, <laughs> fix this, I can't. But then I'm better at public speaking than them. And they'll say, can you call for me? And when we share it, we do things for each other. Instead of making fun of each other, you can't make a phone call. You can't figure out the computer. You don't do that to people. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you, you, so uh, it's called, and like you said, compassion, empathy. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'll help you out with that. And you can help me out with this. Um, and exactly. you don't see a lot of that. But, but the, the, the two driving things in, in our lives today, in modern life, is uh, money. So your worth is how much money you have. So you are more valuable. And the other idea is intelligence. And I think intelligence in many ways is overrated because there are different types of it. We're slowly learning about that. But the person who knows how to deal with other people has a different kind of intelligence. Now, they may not be as studied as somebody from Harvard. And I actually met somebody who graduated from Harvard, and I thought, oh, okay, smart guy, but uh, not a good person at all in many ways. <laughs> and ignorant. I would actually call this person ignorant. It's like, well, you have your degree, but uh, there's nothing else. It's just a piece of paper, you know? And, well, because there's other, and it's funny you said that because there are different intelligences, okay? Yeah. I mean, I, for example, I know of different attorneys, and some of them went to prestigious schools, and other attorneys went to local schools, and yet the local ones, run circles around them, okay, in the courtroom. Because again, they had the street smarts. They had, you know what I'm saying? They, they had the ability and, and, and that's so, and like you said, and we do, and as far as money, I, I digress and say again, look at how many celebrities with millions and millions of dollars that you can be jealous of. This, this kid is a third of my age, you know what I'm saying? But yet all of a sudden they're miserable, miserable, you know what I'm saying? So the money is not the end of, how many multi-millionaires have committed suicide so that's not the answer. And you're right, you're judged by the money, but it's not that. It is back to the basics. By the way, I want to, speaking of suicide, I do want to say something to anyone who's wondering, what, what do I do about this? So, mm -hmm. um, so as far as uh, some things, if you are in school, like I said, go to the school social worker. If you're not, uh, a lot of local community centers or churches tend to have outreach programs. And it doesn't mean church you belong to, but you can tell them like there's self-help groups, 12-step programs, you can do that. There is the, the uh, suicide hotline, which is 1-800-273-TALK, the word talk, 1-800-273-TALK. And just another important number is the runaway switchboard, 1-800-RUNAWAY, uh, 1-800-RUNAWAY, if you are, or even if they can talk to you suicide as well. Uh, but the idea is there's, there are modes for help, okay? Call that number, call the switchboard if you have to. Um, you know, go, go, go to, again, a lot of local church. Sometimes the pastor will say, oh, there's a group here that meets on Tuesdays, that might be for you. Um, so those are very important community centers, schools, these are all wealth of places, you're not alone. And what I recommend to people too is this look, first you got to get the help, you can't do it on your own, and, and the help is there. And, mm -hmm. and, and you'd be so happy to say that people feel the way you feel. 
Now, what I also recommend to people is while you're getting the help, this might sound crazy, but hear me out, while you're getting the help, get involved in some kind of volunteer work, whether it's a senior place, whether it's children, whether it's cleaning, you know, soup kitchen, anything. And you might say, why am I doing volunteer work? I'm not, I'm depressed. Again, this is not in place of help in therapy, it's with it, because it's called self-esteem. And when you help others, you do get a self-esteem. And, and so I recommend to people, uh, whatever you do, as you're getting the help, do some science. If you're in school still, join a club or something like that. But why does that help other people? I'm telling you right now, it works, okay? Another thing I tell people is a responsibility for themselves because if you get through what you're going through, you can do what I do over the years and you can share your experience and save other people's lives. It's almost, that's an ability you have for all the misery you might've gone through. You can make use of that by that. So these are things I always recommend to people who are thinking of, of suicide. Right? And, and I'll leave this, this is a very important thought. I've known because of my work, many people who were suicidal over the years, hundreds, okay? And there's, for those that did not die, whether they tried it and didn't die like myself, or they thought about it, but they didn't try it. There's one thing we all have in common. We might have different works of life, different opinions, 100, not 90, 100% of us have one thing in common. Those of us that thought of suicide and didn't do it or tried it, but thank God lived, were always happy we never died. Why? Because things eventually got better. Absolutely. Things, 100%. Yes. Everyone I know said, thank God I lived. Things got better. So, and, and things, if you take the step forward and try to get the help, it gets better a lot faster than you thought. Because I used to go, I can't wait another 11 years. It gets better so much faster than you have. And then now you have the ability to help others. Mm -hmm. if, if I had one message for, for people as suicidal, I'd say, don't do it. As simple as that. Don't do it. And it's like, I, I find myself like myself experiencing uh, Plato's cave, the myth of the cave. Um, again, another allegory. But uh, this one is getting to me because I always thought of it. Okay, it's interesting. But now I'm realizing a lot of us are in this cave. We're seeing these shadows on the wall. We think we're bound, but we're actually not. And we can step out of the cave and there's this beautiful world outside. We are not stuck in the cave. And in many cases, it's, um, it's a choice we make. It might be a small choice. It, it can't, you can't change it overnight. But that small choice is like, I'm going to turn my head to the other side instead of like looking at this screen. I'm going to turn it to the side. Oh, wait, there is a light and kind of walk slowly towards it. And like you said, uh, count on others as well, because people in that case, they close off and they feel like there's nobody understands me. And that's not true. You will find people who, who go through the same thing. That's the other thing. You think nobody else is, uh, is, is having these thoughts. Nobody else is feeling like this. And there are tons of other people. In every classroom, let me tell you something right now. They say a fifth. One out of every five kids is a child of an alcoholic. Out the gate. That's not counting. Maybe you're not a child of an alcoholic, you're suicidal. So think about that. That's, that's a fifth of the class. Uh, 30. So now, how about the other ones that just have depression issues? So if I walk in a class of 30, at least five or six of those children are, are, are dealing with what we're talking about right now. Thinking of suicide, living through abuse, verbal abuse, physical, both. So... You're definitely not alone because I used to think when you think you're alone, that's a very dark place. To, it's an embarrassing place to be. Mm -hmm. And I, you're not alone at all. And again, that statistic, by the way, mm -hmm. has been around for years. One out of five, it has not changed since I was a teenager. It's a pretty consistent statistic. One out of five kids is a child of an alcoholic or drug abuser. And out of them, how many are suicidal? But then how many are not that category, but are depressed? So that's even more kids. 
So again, you walk into a class, there isn't a classroom there is today. I don't care what kind of neighborhood it is, middle school, college, high school, grammar, whatever it is, okay? There isn't a classroom today that doesn't add in every single classroom, there are children going through what I discussed right then and there, okay? Or, or in the older schools went through it, okay? Mm -hmm. And that's so important to remember, you're definitely not alone. You're mm -hmm. far from alone. And many of us are successful in life. We're happy, okay? It can be done. Problems happen because that's part of life, but they don't devastate us, okay? Exactly. You know, and in many cases, you know like small problems that we just make mountains out of it, and it's mm -hmm. actually no big deal. And and even when I was younger, I was more more romantic, and you have these ideas like she's rejecting me. It's the end of the world. And if <laughs> if I if I had a way of going back and tell that guy, you know what, just relax, everything's gonna be fine, you know. And and I I'd like to do that to 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 the younger people too. It's like you know what, it's gonna get better. It's gonna get better. And and right now we're experiencing this like extremely stressful moment. This extreme worldwide. But the benefit of this is we're all suffering. This is the first time maybe in a hundred years uh, or during World, World War II uh, as well, where pretty much everybody is suffering. And I see that as a good thing because the lessons that I've learned from suffering outweigh any other lessons that you could, I could have learned in any other way. Uh, because what it does is also it creates in some, again, it creates compassion, that empathy. It's like, I know what you're going through. I understand. And this is why our, we have movements now that are they're gaining force and momentum because of that, because we now realize what the other person is feeling and thinking in many ways. There's some who still don't acknowledge it. That's a different issue. But a lot of us are connecting with the suffering that is around us. And I think that's a great thing. And I think like without suffering, I wouldn't be where I am. And it's helped me tremendously. And like you say, I've, I've grown not only like in terms of, uh, of others, but in myself. And I think that's been the greatest lesson that the abuse that I have experienced in different forms and different ways has really helped me, put me forward, make me more successful. And successful not in the sense of happiness or money, but successful in being the person, I, my authentic self, of finding my authentic self that was buried before. And uh, it's, I feel that it's coming through because of those traumatic experiences. I'm thankful, like you said, I've been able to help so many individuals, most young ones, because of my abuse I went through. Now, if you, by the way, if I went back in time and told my young self, you'll be happy with this, I would hit myself right now. I said, <laughs> I would say, what am I, an idiot when I'm older? But, but the thing is, but, but because I have the experience to help others, and I, I wouldn't trade now. I would not trade my childhood and anything else because it's a name. It's a name of me to help so many others over the years, you know, and, and make them realize again they're not alone. They're not the only, and that they can be happy. They can. Yes, they can. You know what I'm saying? It, this dark cloud that you think is never going to leave you can be gone like that. Okay, yeah. and, and that. And again, it's, it's it's conditioning. You get beat through your head by an abuser told something over and over again. Yes, of course you think that, you know. Um, we've all had friends, and, and I did the same thing myself. How many times have you said, you know, never recognize your accomplishments? Oh, big deal, but I also failed in that. See, it's the, if the reflex, typical kid child was abused or child and alcohol, if your reflex to a compliment, instead of saying thank you is, yeah, but I didn't do this, 
that's when you know that's a self-esteem problem. That's not yeah. supposed to be a reflex. You're supposed to say, oh, thanks. Yeah, I'm really happy that worked out. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm proud of myself. I did that. That's supposed to be the reflex. Yeah. It, yeah. For me, it was uh, just got lucky. And it's like, well, you say, well, you must be a very lucky person, you know, <laughs> but yeah. uh, it's not deflecting that and saying, you know what, accepting my accomplishments, but also accepting my own flaws. And, and that's the thing. That's the thing where many people also don't take responsibility for their actions. Now, personally, from and, and, and people I follow, my view on uh, addiction and alcoholism and all of that is that it's neither a disease nor a choice, but it's somewhere in between. And there's a moment, there's like moments of control where you can regain control, where you can slowly liberate yourself from it that exists in our consciousness. And we have to pounce upon them. and We have to follow them. It's that turning the head to the, to the other side and seeing, okay, there's a way out and I better follow this way out instead of getting stuck. Because the problem is if you say it's a disease, well, I can't help it because that's a disease. Problem if it's a choice, then it's like, well, I chose to do this. And then you well, feel guilty it, it, about it. And to your point, it's a curable disease because they can walk in a 12 step Curable disease, disease, if you like. Anytime, yeah. Not curable, they use the word arrest, you know. But the point is, they can walk in a 12 step program anytime they want and get yeah. better, you know. Yeah. And, that, and, that, and that's, the, that's the difference. It's not, it, you know, again, you don't have to go through this the rest of your life. I remember seeing a, a, a TV show, I mentioned who, uh, one celebrity had a relapse, you know what I'm saying? They, they unfortunately, uh, drugs, and then they're okay now. Uh, we pray there anyway. My point is, one particular therapist kept saying, "Oh, this is common. We prepare them for relapse." I think it, you prepare them for that. Wait a minute! No, 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 no. I said, "Don't put that thought in the head." I know many people who are 40, 50, 60 years sober. Okay, um, so again, you don't program someone that oh, well, I'm probably going to fail. No, you don't, that's wrong. You don't. That's, that's completely false. If you do, yes, you get back up and move on one day at a time. Today you're sober again. I get that part. But, but don't start off with a predestination that I'm probably going to fail because then you're probably going to fail. And, and the pledge is just wonderful for AA. And I, I can, you can apply it to any parts of life to be able to change what I can and uh, what I can't and then know the difference between the two. There's certain mm -hmm. things in the world that I cannot change and I accept that. I mean, this is how it's going to be. But there's one, my part, that I can, both myself and for others. And I think that's that's important to know. And just for addiction, I mean, uh, we are often limited to, to drugs and alcohol, but there's so many other addictions that are out there. I myself with food, and it's when I realized that food was basically filling up a void that I had, my own void of, of uh, lack of self-worth, if you like. And it, uh, and it does work for a while, but then it causes like all these health problems and it doesn't solve the issue. And once you find control, and I've tried intermittent fasting, where I am in control of not being driven by those cravings, not be driven by food, and I don't choose it as a way of escape, you know, and, and that's what we do. I mean, if we get addicted to everything and there, anything it, can get that. Anything can be unfortunate. And again, even relationship, bad, um, you know, harmful yeah. relationships. I've said before, I feel codependency is an addiction too. Mm -hmm. You're addicted to a way of life. You're addicted. You're, you're so stuck in that mold, okay? Mm -hmm. And it's and and listen, many people who do get help will admit they knew on each relationship at the beginning this was bad, but they still went through with it. They knew at the beginning, okay? Just like just like someone who's going to walk into a bar and, and and drink, and he knows he's, he or she is not supposed to do that, okay? Yeah. Same thing. But the, you know the nice thing is though, it's liberating when you can again get help change that thought process, realize this is not who you really are, okay? 
it, that to me is liberating because now I know people, a lot of people I know who, who, who have come to the side would never accept abuse now. Never. You know, say they broke that mold. You know, and again, you talk about children again. Your children are watching what you do. Okay. So if you're, if you're in codependent mode, not only are you allowing them to be abused, but their relationships are all going to be probably horrible because they're, you're, you're their model, you know? Uh, what a lesson to a child when you can show them, I changed, mm-hmm. okay? I, but, I, I wasn't destined to this. I, I find two things that don't work is when you kind of hit yourself uh, over the head with it and feel guilty, or you say, I should be doing this or I shouldn't be doing this. And it's like, I think there's a realization where you say, okay, this is a moment I feel that this is not right and I'm choosing not to follow this path. It has to be the will of the person. And that's why uh, certain people cannot be helped until they realize that they want to change, right? If, if you are fine with your smoking and you say, I'm gonna continue with it, I do not want to change, okay, that's your choice, but you can get out of it, but it all depends on that person, on the individual. We cannot force change people. And this is frustrating, but it goes back to the changing things that you can and changing things that you can't. And so you cannot change people who are uh, abusive in many ways. You cannot until they come to that realization, but you can try to help them. You can try your best to guide them, but they have to change for themselves in many ways. Oh yeah, yeah, and, and, and you can't be the rescuer, and that's what it's called. No, and you shouldn't be because that is more that is something else completely. Yeah, and some of them enter relationships that way. They're the rescuer in the relationship. They they date people. They need all sorts of help. They're going to cure them. Listen, yeah. you're you're not supposed to be the psychologist. You're the, you're the, their boyfriend or their girlfriend. Okay, there's a difference. Don't don't become someone's psychologist. You know, uh, you can be a nice influence on somebody. Don't get me wrong. Um, but that, that wanting to know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to heal them, I'm going to cure them. No, you're not. You're going to end up in a very bad situation. Yes. And probably abuse. Especially in relationships. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That, is, that is the wrong way to do it. It's also like also accepting yourself, accepting the other, and knowing the boundaries of setting boundaries. Even if you're close to somebody, you do not have to agree on everything. You do not have to have the same interests. And there's like, it causes like, tension in relationships that I've seen where people is like, well, this person likes that. I like that. It's like, it's fine. It's okay. You guys be fine with whatever you like, as long as it's, if, if you don't have anything in common, that's obviously not a good sign, but let the, give the other uh, person space, give your child space when they're growing, give them room to grow. Don't make them into a copy of yourself. You're like, I'm a failed artist. So he's going to be an artist now. No, right. it doesn't work that way. Well, you're into sports. So he's going to be into sports and that's wrong because mm-hmm. that puts so much anxiety on a child. Okay. Now, the, the, I think the healthier thing to do is listen, I want you to do something, club, mm-hmm. sport, this, that, I don't care what it is, you pick it, but don't pick it for them just because you did it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because they're going to, you know, they're going to do They're going to people please you, be involved in it, mm-hmm. hate going to it. Okay. Uh, as opposed to something else they might have enjoyed. So I know a lot of help, to me, the healthy stance is I want you to be involved somehow in school, but you pick it. It could be a sport, it could be a club, it could be whatever, a society, you know, that, that does maybe, again, volunteer work. You, and now you're, so you're, you're, they're getting involved, they're doing something, but it doesn't have to, like you said, don't make them a copy of yourself because, again, they might smile and, oh, I just want to please your mom, look, you're so happy when I do this. And inside, they just dread it. They dread going to it. Who would want to do that? them so mm-hmm. you know, give them the choice 
give them the choice exactly and I, I started giving my son choices when he was young he was a toddler and it's like okay do you want this or this do you prefer this or that in in many cases and in in he has he's impressive in terms of critical thinking but sometimes he he outperforms me in in, in ways and i think okay now i've i've created a monster he he can think <laughs> for himself you know <laughs> but i think that's lacking too and uh, in education today even at uh, university level um, there is not enough uh, critical thinking I mean, they don't really teach people to think for themselves it's really also the the teacher the instructor time like this is what i want you to answer there's a right or wrong answer for with this and my subjects of interest were always humanities where I love the fact that there's no right or wrong answer I love the fact that you can debate things and we can talk things in philosophy and everything because that's how life is when you go out it's not like clear as black and white or anything we are living in that gray area where it's like everything is in color and we just have to it's like you're used to a black and white tv and then you step out and it's like oh no this is not what the world looks like and I don't well, think it, it, we, funny because like, again, like you said, to have debates with, with, with your child or again discussions mm -hmm. and have them know they don't have to agree with you because you mm -hmm. want to hear their opinion. Now listen, it might be a very serious thing and they mm -hmm. might eventually hear you, but mm -hmm. if you shut them down and say, No, I'm telling you that's stupid, that's a no. Now you first you'll never make your point because you just you just shut them down mentally. Mm -hmm. Let them have their opinion. Those are the best discussions you can have, okay? First of all, they, they might come around to you a year or so later and say, I, okay, I, I see what you're saying. Or vice versa, you might say to them one day, you know what, I kind of see your point. In their own time in many ways. Some things yeah. are somewhere in the middle, uh, but those are great discussions. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think like, and people, parents say, okay, because I say so, because I know better and so on, but it's not the case. And even as, as a teacher, as an instructor myself, I learn stuff from my students as well. It's like a two-way relationship. It's it's dynamic. Uh, even a, an analyst with their with their client. I mean, that's the same thing. I mean, both get healed in that process, and it's not just uh, a coming down. It's not top-down uh, uh, processing or anything like that. It's uh, mutually working together. And I think um, I don't like how many people see parenthood of like I'm the parent and you're the child. There is that distinction, of course, but there's also another part where it's like let's work together let's play with each other let's discuss things together let's be a unit and I hear it's mostly like people are independent you live in your own world you do your own things figure things out for yourself I want you to be independent and that's to me not independency that is I don't know what that is that is like fostering loneliness I think and uh, just being able to like listen to others talk to others share things with each other and be comfortable with each other. And that's, uh, and I think most families are dysfunctional. That's been my experience. There is no happy family out there, or at least maybe there are, I just uh, haven't found them. But I, I think everyone family is like different and dysfunctional in its own way, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. If again, the some families are fairly, pretty functional, they're happy, but they still have issues and problems. Exactly. And no that's but without the abuse there's always something going on okay what like you said uh mm -hmm. and i think it's important for people to know that because there's nothing to be embarrassed about if you have issues mm -hmm. the embarrassing thing is if you don't get help for them okay mm -hmm. not even that it's embarrassing but i'm just saying that's the, the sad part is if you don't get help because mm -hmm. you can get help no one has to be sad no one has mm -hmm. to anxiety 
And certainly no one should be abused, by the way, because again, whether it's you're a young person, whether you're in a relationship, you're in an adult relationship, okay? You know, we tend again, tell ourselves why we deserved it, okay? And it's wrong. No one should, no one has a right to abuse someone else. Mm -hmm. Even if, like you said, your son's teacher, whatever the, whatever the relation is. Um, and I think that's important to know that. And, and if you see someone is like that, even as a friend, that's the time maybe you don't be that person's friend anymore, okay? Mm -hmm. Certainly in a relationship, you see a person got verbal with you, that's, that's a red flag. That's when you say, goodbye, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. uh, and if they, the old line, oh, I know what happened that night, that's not normally me. Yeah, if you did it, you're capable of doing it. That's the way I look at it, you know? Yeah, you yeah. Someone, it, it, you're, an you, you, you're an abuser. But yeah. yes, but, but to an extent that you want to try to get through to them. I know some people are very thick-headed and you can't get through them, but I, I am very optimistic in that, that it, even so, if you, if they really realize what's going on, if you can open up to them, if you can kind of break that door, that wall between you, they will come to your side. And, uh, and one of the things, I mean, uh, that people who abuse others, they have suffered as well. And this is, they haven't used their suffering for good, for helping others, for coming to realizations, they have they are using it to get rid of uh, their own feelings, but it's actually causing this like vicious cycle, and they get trapped in it. And I think it's 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 important to not blame others for what's happening, also, but trying to understand them as much as as as, as that's possible, and try to help them as much as that's possible. Now, in, in your case, I think this is like, uh, to me, that seems like a, a horrible situation because you as a child did not have stability and you like things you don't probably trust anymore because any moment you say that could happen, the person could snap and it's like you wouldn't feel safe and, and you feel threatened by that. And I think that is something like, and many of us go through that in similar ways where we have to find out, okay, we need to try to heal from all of this so that we make sure that it doesn't pass on. So we don't do the same thing to our children. We don't well, do it to our very friends. Very important. That's and, why, yeah. Yeah, that's why I'm gonna, I'm gonna, when parents will say, it's interesting, I've actually had this conversation where, well, they have two children and, 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 and they did the right thing. They caught up, they, they got separated, divorced, whatever it was from the abuser, mm -hmm. okay? They'll say, you know, one of my children's acting out, I put them in therapy. The other one does fine in school. I didn't bother putting them in therapy. Oh, that's a bad mistake. Okay. Everybody is affected. Everybody. That one that seems to be okay now could become suicidal or could be abu an abuser themselves or be abused in all the relationships. Mm -hmm. So I always say you can't think that one child was affected and one wasn't. It doesn't work. One's not showing it right now. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I say get them both in therapy now. Okay. Mm -hmm. Get it mm -hmm. done with. Uh, so you know what, but I say get the parents too. And in many cases, we send the well, kids yeah, to therapy, course. but it's the parents who have the issues. I don't blame the kids. I blame the parents in many cases. And I think there's something wrong, not with the kid. I think it's the parents. And so that is something that they need to realize and again, take responsibility for it and say, you know what? Let's deal with this as a unit, as a family. Let's find out what's not functioning well for the benefit of the whole family, for everyone. Well, that's the ideal situation of everybody in therapy. That's the ideal, of course. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yes, I, and I think in many cases, I mean, that's why the kids are suffering because of 
uh, what's going on in their in their homes, in their family, and so on. That's why they have these. Uh, they learn it somewhere. They have to learn it from somewhere. And it's, it's easy to blame like internet or anything. I think it's it's really the home that's uh, in many cases creating those. Again, problems. even with the internet, like you said, internet predators. Why are some children more vulnerable than others? Okay, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. if you're if you're in a position like I was, where I was running away anyway. Okay, mm -hmm. a lot of them will run away. In fact, I, I take it a step further. Many times you'll see, uh, you might have a teenager and she's dating the guys in his 20s or 30s. Okay, you might say, what's wrong with her? She's escaping. Mm -hmm. I can 90%, I'll always leave a little cushion, you know, for rarities. But I'm going to tell you, at least 90% of the time, go to her house, you'll see abuse inside her house. She's escaping. So sometimes an individual knows that they're stepping to something that's not normal, not right. Mm -hmm. but they just feel it's better than what they're in okay so whenever you see a situation like that i can almost guarantee you go check out the household there's abuse going on there and so that it wasn't there promiscuous or what oh my goodness Danny, the guy they're escaping okay yeah. they're actually getting they're trying to get away from this abuse and yeah. gambling that this one won't be as bad which of course is a gamble so. Yeah, and then you you kind of say I deserve this, or you say, well, it's like that's the treatment I'm used to, and uh, yeah. and and uh, we have. And to at least that, at right? least he doesn't do this to me. I, that's exactly, a exactly. You, know, and you think it rationalizes all the other abuse, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think for for myself, it's like you learn from mistakes, from my own mistakes, but also mistakes from from parents. And I say, okay. These are the things I didn't have when I was growing up, and now have to make sure that my child does. You know, and you have to compensate in a way you're compensating for it because I learned from, I know what that feels like. And I think that is very important for, for people who have gone through to, again, speak up because they can connect to the other person much more than somebody who does not experience that. Or uh, what I find uh, pretty funny is when uh, people who don't have any kids are giving me advice, uh, parental advice. And mm -hmm. I just look at that. It's like, well, how would you know and why should I follow you based on what? I mean, also reading a book, you might read a lot of books and say, okay, I know the theory behind it. Yes, but when you're going through it, that is completely different in many ways. And the books won't help as much. They might guide you a bit, but it's a different experience. Well, nothing beats practical experience in anything. Exactly. In anything exactly. Yeah. And the other thing about um, um, parents who have more than one kid, and you mentioned the two kids, and the problem is do not compare them. And I find that in, I, I have two brothers and it's that kind of comparison where like, well, so this person is like this, you're like that and so on. And it's a tendency, it's a human tendency, but it's really important to make sure that people are valued for who they are on their own terms and not being oh, absolutely. Not played to mention, up each other. You know, yeah. if your child happened to have a self-esteem problem, you didn't realize it, okay? Yeah. And you do that comparison, you just made it a lot worse on them. Okay, because mm -hmm. uh, they, they, their self worth decreases even more. Mm -hmm. They feel I, I, I guess I'm sub level because I'm not them. You know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, what do you think um, uh, people should do more? And you, you mentioned that uh, people notice that there's something wrong, but they choose not to get involved in these things. And that could be outside people, anywhere from like people in the yeah, street. Well, it, you know, I, always, I always laugh uh, if, if yeah. someone on the neighborhood puts the garbage out on the wrong night or parks in the wrong spot, they're calling 911, okay? <laughs> However, they suspect child abuse, oh, I can't get involved in that. What, what's wrong with this picture here? Okay, so what I suggest is, uh, it is a responsibility for all adults 
to report it. And again, most families, I got to tell you something, most families know something's going on, the aunts, the uncles, the grandparents. And it is a responsibility to at least get the child talk or see what's going on, try to intervene. Or if anything, and not everybody has this ability, I get that. But for those that do, maybe have them live with you for a while, make an excuse. Don't say because you're abusing them because you're, you're going to have a big fight on your hands, okay? But you can say, you know what, um, if you have a child, um, you know, maybe the cousins can be with together or, or, or I'm kind of lonely myself. Maybe you can get them out of the out of that atmosphere, you know, however long it is. Okay, so that's what relatives can do. And if it's more extreme, you know, sometimes the relatives even cover for the abuser. You know, a grandparent, well, that is my son, or that's my brother or sister, but that's your grandchild, and that's your niece and nephew, and they're being abused. So I've even seen them with mixed up priorities. No, child comes first. Or do you real? Or another line we discussed this before. Well, he doesn't really hit them. He just says these things to them. Okay, do you really want your responsibility that all of a sudden you get the phone call they committed suicide? Then you sit down and say, wow, maybe I could have done something all this time. I could have said something. I could have, you know, I took it lightly. Yeah, he was yelling at them when we were eating dinner, but I don't know. I figured these are things you don't want on your conscience or you find out they ran away. No one knows. Or again, you find out they're in a relationship with someone that's to be their parent. Okay. All these different things that can happen. So you want to get involved. You want to do something. Now, if you're not a relative, you're a neighbor, and you clearly see abuse, clearly see it, you call protective services. They'll take over. It's like, from that point on, it's out of your hands, okay? Mm -hmm. But it is a responsibility. We complain about people cutting us off and how they drive, but then you don't want to take care of a child. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I think that uh, that mindset has to change. Stop covering for the adult, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and uh, the point you make about verbal abuse, I mean, uh, that is something that should also not happen. That is more common than, than other kinds of abuse, but it's seen as normalized and uh, uh, yeah. that should not happen. And it's, it's just like raising awareness about that, which is happening with racism. And many people are now seeing like, whoa, this is what it feels like. They did not know. I've experienced it myself, but to me, it's, there's no nothing new there. But for a lot of people who haven't, experience that they need to realize that what they're saying is causing harm in many ways and be careful with how you're saying it. if you make a mistake apologize and accept responsibility Absolutely. i made a mistake that's perfectly fine instead of like doubling down and making you, like, you mentioned some uh, sayings before so i'll fill my own in sarcasm the definition of sarcasm is to tear the flesh with the tongue I okay. cannot stand sarcasm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so think about that, you know. Yeah. So again, and again, I stress, okay, you don't know what that person has been through or going through. Okay. Mm -hmm. You might meet their significant other and they seem like the nicest person in the world, but they're, they need an Academy Award because in the home, they're horrible, they're, they're a monster. So the point is, so now you're acting sarcastic and, and you're just, you're, you know what you're actually doing then? You're connecting yourself to that person's abuse to that abuser, even though you don't mean to. So again, empathy, compassion, as you said, uh, and if you see someone is like that, even adults, even relationships, you know, they may not listen to you, but say to them, you know, you deserve better than this. There is help. You want to talk, you know, talk. You might plant a seed. You know what I'm saying? And, and say, like you say, in a compassionate way, not aggressively, because then you're mm -hmm. not helping and the person shuts off. But it's like, okay. You don't judge. about this. Don't judge. Yes, yes, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Thank you so much for talking to me. We, oh, uh, I know we could have.
we could go on much longer, but uh, at some point, unfortunately, that does have to end. And uh, April is uh, a child abuse prevention uh, month, so that is very important. Uh, this is a discussion. That, thank you very much for being so open about it or sharing your experiences and uh, your thoughts about it. And uh, let's let's uh, let's fight for this, and let's let's fight for for children and making sure that. Uh, we can have a society that uh, respects them. And I've always, always appreciated children. I, I don't think they get enough credit for how they deal with situations, how they deal with difficult circumstances. And uh, I think they're remarkable. <laughs> and they, and they just need to be told that. <laughs> they need to be told that. And, uh, and there are societies that don't give them enough credit because they are pushing them too hard, I find. And that's uh, kind of, it's, it's also a social thing, a national thing. And I think whenever I have a chance, I tell even like uh, young adults, I tell them when they've done things well, it's like, you know what? You are very good. And then sometimes it makes a world of difference to them. Just a small positive word. If they're living in an abuse situation, you might be the only compliment they had, okay? And that will go along and you're countering what they're used to. Again, we're going on April, Child Abuse Awareness Month, you know, and, Again, this, this, this is very important. Interviews like this are so important to bring that awareness. Okay. Thank you very much. Take oh, care and have a great evening. Thank you.